a sexy beast. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Keep calm, and cauliflower cheese comes around again. I'm in charge of the whole shebang over here, and it's episode 225. It has a rather lovely sort of even ring to it, an even coil to it, doesn't it? 225. Can you believe I've been talking for that long? Let's just work out here quickly. So 225 episodes, let's say it's 40 minutes, 40 minutes an episode here. I'm just getting out my abacus, so excuse me a second whilst I work this out. So 40 minutes, I can, I can do basic mathematics, uh, by 225, 9,000 minutes of me online. That's 9,000 glorious, incompetent, mediocre minutes of me online for you to listen back to over the last few years. God, it's fabulous, isn't it? Absolutely fabulous. Well, it's lovely to be here. I didn't know if I would be, though. I had a nasty cough, and I thought it would be the cough that may have carried me off, rather than the cough and they carried me off in. Uh, but yet, yeah, it was that sort of weird smell of musky boxes. I don't think there were any sort of decapitated, uh, putrefied meeses. Uh, attached to the boxes. Um, well, I don't think so. I still have to handle that one box where my uh, f- f- my friend Roland Rat or Mickey the Mouse is sort of attached to the box and needs to be prized away. Yeah, lovely stuff. That musty smell of mice urine or rat urine. And uh, it doesn't, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little concerned I might sort of catch sort of Viles disease or something like that. But I've been coughing, mold, Dust, all of the like. I mean, I'm trying to make things more efficient from the move to New Chappie Towers. Coming up very, very, very soon. Help those strapping lads. I didn't get the student lads because there was something advertised uh, at Old Chappie Towers where you could get a bunch of student lads. And I think it was made for sort of middle-aged ladies or middle-aged chaps, if that is your inclination, uh, to get some hot shirtless university chaps to come and move their boxes. I mean, I, I personally would be distracted by rippling muscles, but some people might be. And uh, I think that's the worry, but I didn't get them. So, and nor did I get my old friend, uh, my old friend Larry, who uh, turns out could have stolen all my stuff last year. Um, yeah, basically Prosecco movers or flat champagne uh, is, the, uh, is the name of the game here. And, uh, yeah, Larry just goes around uh, taking Monet's, it seems. Yeah, he takes Monet's or uh, Degas or all of the, all of the fabulous uh, priceless art that people may have 
Uh, but uh, I don't know if he were to take it personally. He didn't take any of my stuff. So what does that tell you? I just moving a bunch of junk, which uh, which is very, very sad. Although I did discover an old favourite. It's, uh, it's the old cricket ground that I played at. Uh, not very re- regularly, because cricket, as, as much as it's my love, necessarily wasn't my skill. My father played there, and behind is the church where I was christened. So I rediscovered this. There's a cricket match going on. It looks like uh, towards the end of summer, maybe September, uh, a little sort of greyish day. And uh, it's got me back into my happy place. As I'm, This is why I'm sort of not quite near the microphone. I'm looking up at it as I speak, and then realize that I look up above my glasses, I can't actually sit. So I'm having to move my head to see this wonderful piece of watercolor summer pastiche. Uh, it's really lovely, very, very lovely stuff. And that's the advantage and disadvantage of moving constantly, it seems, is finding stuff that you put away or you've lost and then it is now found. But then you have to do, secure the box up again. So um, I, I did have uh, maybe a year's supply of packing tape sent to old Chappie Towers uh, that I never went and got. So uh, now I've ordered new packing tape. Uh, I think I'm obsessed with packing tape. Can I use it to wrap Christmas presents up as well, though? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, it's very, very strong. It might elongate Christmas Day if I'm wrapping up presents using this very, very hard tape. I mean, this is a sort of tape that you could um, use to keep wounds together. You know, that and a dash of uh, apple cider vinegar and turmeric, you, uh, you could have your own sort of uh, makeshift witch doctor surgery, couldn't you? And uh, you know, packing tape could keep everything together. You don't need Gorilla Glue to you know so you sort of they'll bind your wounds together and you can do that apparently i've seen people do that they cut their finger and then they put gorilla glue on it isn't gorilla glue somewhat poisonous so coming up on the program today and just to let you know the schedule over the next couple of weeks there'll be a second edition of keep calm and cauliflower cheese yeah no you don't need to sigh come on be welcoming to your dearest host here um, but next week, I'm going to try to squeeze in one edition of Keep Calm and Colorful. I am moving. I do have to do some packing. And I mean, I have like moldy sort of mouse pee boxes all around me here. I need to get them out. I need to get them moved. I need to get them to new Chappie Towers. And then we'll have a new little, uh, little podcasting shack for you. We'll see how that sounds. I'll be a little bit higher up, you know. So as I start squatting... As you get older and the back starts to curve, I become the hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hunched over the microphone as we speak. Everybody laughs at our hunch over my putting when I'm playing golf. Uh, but I'm going to be a higher up, so maybe I can uh, straighten up and fly right, so to speak, over the, uh, over the coming weeks here. So I am a, uh, I used to be, much to my mother's chagrin, a a newspaper hoarder. Now I'm a digital hoarder. So these little memory boxes that you get, these little, they're not memory sticks, they're sort of external hard drives, little squarish size, aren't they? And um, yeah, I've got probably maybe 30 of those. They're between 500 gigs and a terabyte full of uh, the digital equivalent of newspaper clippings, stories, old radio shows, old audio. I'm really bringing out my nerd. 
But back in the day, I used to keep and collect newspaper clippings, which were a considerable fire hazard. I had this situation a, a few years ago when I lived in New Mexico, and I had this, uh, this older lady who lived next door, and she was a little bit of a hermit, a little bit moody, and um, had a rather strange smell about her. I mean, some old ladies uh, often do. Um, but anyway, so one, one evening about 10 o'clock, she came and knocked on the door, and uh, she was like hopping around, poor dear. And she said, I- I've got cramp. I need you to come and sort out my cramp. Well, I-, I wondered what she wanted me to do, like give her a sort of massage, um, you know, a rough, vigorous massage. You know, maybe she likes a slightly, you know, rotund English gentleman to give massages to her. It could be her thing. Anyway, went over and... Um, all of her, um, all of her lights were out. None of the light was on. She said, "I don't want to waste electricity." So I couldn't find it. And I like was stumbling over, and there were piles and piles, years worth of newspapers in the living room, in the garage. Uh, I mean, this is just a fire hazard waiting to happen. And she said, "I need you to get me some vinegar." I said, "Well, you know, these are before the days I tried the apple cider vinegar." She said, "I need some vinegar." I said, "What? Well, are you going to do a shot of it or something?" No, she says, I want you to slap it on my leg. So I had to pour this vinegar out and slap it all over this old lady's leg. I mean, I was a little bit worried with the sort of um, hairy friction of an old lady's leg, slapping it at the same time um, with the vinegar on it. It could cause a fire. All those newspapers could have gone up in a fury greater than the uh, Great Fire of London back in 1666. Or was it 1665? One was the plague which I now have, the Babylonic Plague or the Pneumonic Plague here in my, uh, Chappie Towers, um, and then, then the fire. So there we go. Uh, yeah, don't collect newspapers, but I am, a, uh, I, am a, I am a bit of a hoarder, to say the very, very least. Also, um, green chilli stew, I had a block of it, uh, a block of chilli in my fridge that had been in there for a while, and I never, I never, I never brought it out until recently. And I made a lovely sort of autumnal stew the other day. Ah, oh, tell you that that stuff was hot. We'll be talking about that. Uh, also, uh, Prince Andrew's taking on the corgis. We mentioned that before. Uh, snakehead soup after surgery. I mean, I like to give you recipes here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. We're carb laden, but maybe some snaky protein is just what you're looking for. Had a couple of very weird dreams. Myself and my daughter had a couple of weird dreams. Hers was about cats. Uh, mine was about uh, a weird dream about a concert that I attended with my parents. Uh, also, what happened at the gym yesterday. Rather embarrassing times at the gym. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, PSL time. Pumpkin spice latte. Oh dear, pumpkin spice latte time is, uh, is upon us once more and uh, I was sent the other day by those very intriguing, intrepid, uh, artificially intelligent elves. Hello to the world's first slimming and posture improving compressing boxer shorts. <laughs> you sexy beast. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Saw this today and thought this was rather beautiful from the lovely Mr. Stephen Fry. Happy Equinox world, a day and night. Just about exactly 12 hours for everyone and everywhere on the planet. From tomorrow on, longer nights up here in the Northern Hemisphere and 
longer days in the summer southern hemisphere as they approach summer, all because of our little world's little tilt. It really is the creepiest, crawliest of uh, of season, and um, it reminded me. I'm sort of packing everything up here, taking my clothes, and a pair of my greenish trousers. I don't normally wear green trousers. I was uh, thinking about now uh, should I pack these away? And there was a spider crawling down them. And rather stupidly, instead of collecting the spider in a piece of tissue and taking it outside, I just left it to roam. And I will find it later, where it will probably bite me on the upper thigh, or who knows, maybe to the right. Uh, That would be very unfortunate. But there's apparently billions of daddy long legs to invade homes for the two weeks during mating season in the UK. So it makes me think, that so eight legs for a spider. I mean, just imagine if you saw two daddy long legs mating. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's 16 legs. That's a, that's a scary, creepy crawly if ever there was one. And um, do daddy long legs have long appendages? Uh, I'm, I'm sure over the weekend there's a lot of stories about uh, people who have well-endowed appendages. It seems to be the weak. I don't know September because it's harvest and fulsome and mellow fruitfulness. Well, uh, the story's getting fruit, fruit, fruity. Uh, are things becoming more mellow? Is it a harvest for the world in terms of appendages and all that type of subject? Anyway, that'll be coming up later. But this summer offered perfectly breeding conditions for the gangly creatures. Daddy long legs could run right as billions of new bugs emerge from the soil and look for a mate over the coming next two weeks. Experts say that the hot spells this summer in the UK provided ideal weather conditions for the insects to breed and multiply. The creatures may unnervingly odd bodies, but the experts emphasize they're an important part of the ecosystem. About 200 billion new bugs could hatch, according to the charity Bug Life. As frightening as they sound, daddy long legs, also known as crane flies, are harmless and Brits are encouraged to catch and release them outside. A spokesman for the group said, although they can cause a bit of bother in homes with incessant fluttering, they are perfect creatures literally incapable of hurting a fly. The insects are good for the environment, reports the Daily Star, as their larvae helps enrich the soil, turning dead organic matter into nutrient-rich material. The bug life spokesman added, they're also breakfast, lunch and dinner for birds, bats, amphibians, spiders, other insects, reptiles and fish, which are building up reserves to see them through the winter. The baking hot summer, with less rain to affect them in the underground tunnels in the UK, means there could be a record number of bugs this year. They're about to be unleashed this month, were laid uh, eggs last autumn before they emerge as larvae within a week. Pushing their way to the surface and flexing their wings, they only have one thing on their mind. They're like rabbits, I tell you, like rabbits, rabid rabbits. In the mad rush to find a mate, they often blunder into open windows at night attracted by lights. There's also been a myth that crane flies, of which are 94 different species, are extremely venomous. Due to the similarities in appearance to spiders, crane flies are considered incorrectly by some to be themselves venomous. Venomous. You needn't worry, that's completely harmless. The University of California's ophthalmology department say they do not uh, have venom glands, fangs, or any other mechanism for chemically subduing their food. Therefore, they do not have injectable toxins. Some of their defense secretions m- that might be toxic to small animals if ingested. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. 
It's very fashionable to eat bugs at the moment, but I don't really want sort of deep fried daddy long legs. I mean, if we're reaching the end of the world and they're the only thing left on the menu, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, uh, fluttering and uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the daddy long legs. I will keep you up to date when I find my friend again, possibly in my uh, military style green trousers. So we're all about a minimalist society. Every design thing is very, very sort of Scandinavian at the moment. Very minimalist, white and beige everywhere. Very little clutter. So I'm a traditionally a pretty bad hoarder. I've become from a more traditional hoarder, collecting books and CDs and items and everything else. I'm more of a digital hoarder. So I am, uh, you know, those little external hard drives. I've got those, many of those and I take up a lot of cloud space. I am a sort of cumulonimbus hoarder of, uh, of, of cloud space. I have so much cloud storage space, it's ridiculous. It's probably going to make me bankrupt at uh, any, any one time in the near future. But minimalist is apparently maybe even going out of fashion. So let's introduce to you, if you haven't heard of it, maximalism. So this is a new design trend. For the past few years, pared down interiors, minimalism, have reigned supreme on many Pinterest pages. But we have some good news. All of this, all the pattern lovers, there's a new home design trend caught in town called maximalism. So what is maximalism? Well, it celebrates all things bold, colorful, luxurious. Indeed, focusing on tidying up, like Maria Kondo and your belongings, this design philosophy is all about filling rooms with items you love. It's, it's, it's almost to excess. It's greed. It's gluttony of items. This is similar to my, uh, to my staple, my mantra. The more the merrier. Love wild patterned wallpaper. Hang it up. Got some special art prints. Same deal. And while they're at it, pack the room with favorite furniture and accessories too. If this style has a mantra, it would be go big and go home. Maximalism isn't just about piling things into a room, though. It's about mixing up patterns, colors, textures, and furniture to create a one-of-a-kind look. And it should be thought through about it. Interior designer and HGTV star Tanya Nyack suggests starting by choosing your colors carefully. A good way to keep the look from turning into a hot mess is to stick with three or four to five colors and mix in metallics and luxurious fabrics for a bold, rich feel. Bring on the color. Most maximalist rooms start with a base dramatically bright or dark colors, an accented wall or richly painted room, which will set you on the right track. Many people are gonna hate this. My darling, my girlfriend's gonna hate this. If, she, if she's hearing this now, she's, she's probably never gonna listen to the podcast again. And I may be a single man uh, in the near future, by the weekend probably. If you decide to go with a darker color with maximalism, like black or navy blue, brighten up with a colorful wall decor, Add bold prints and patterns. There's a lot of different ways to do this, but we suggest try patterned wallpaper, upholsters furniture, curtains to the biggest impact. If you'd rather start smaller, try combining bold printed pillows or layering different patterned rugs on top of one another. I mean, it looks like Henry VIII's boudoir with all these rugs and pillows and cushions. There's books on the shelves behind it, scattered with books like rammed to the rafters. 
Hang up some art. Even if you painted your walls bright, red or wallpaper, then with a cool floral. And you want to layer on more color and texture, hang a gallery wall if you're so inclined. Or choose one big, bold piece of artwork and display it prominently as a focal point in the room. Keep in mind, though, your room should have many focal points if you're trying maximalism. Include three-dimensional objects to add texture and interest. I also suggest blend decorating styles, time to bring all your favorite items together. Regardless of what time period, just lump it into the room, get it all in there. Include personal statement pieces as well. When in doubt, add books. The best part of maximalism is that you don't have to expertly style bookshelf to make it look and work. Gather all your favorite books together, whether it's on a shelf or a stack on the floor. The result will make any space cozy and indeed lived in. So I was wondering, do chilies get hotter if they're frozen and in the freezer over time for a very long period of time? So I think I've had this block of chili in for a year and I made some uh, sort of autumnal New Mexican green chili stew uh, the other week. I've been eating it all week and you know what? I think it's cured my pneumonic plague or whatever this is, rat infested dust that I've been breathing in uh, with these boxes in here. It really has helped. It clears the sinuses out. I mean, everything's dripping. And when you've got a nose like mine dripping, it's like the Himalayas melting, basically. You just don't want that happening, do you? Uh, but it, it really does clear everything out. So, it, it, <laughs> my mother said the other day, I'm not taking credit for this, both cheeks were sweating. Both cheeks were sweating. Dripping with the heat of this green chili stew. But, you know, as it matures in the fridge, it gets it's so good, so good, so many good flavors. But also something else I saw the other day. So if you have surgery, you're looking at like foods that you need to eat after surgery, looking at this the other day. And one of the items was snakehead soup. So I thought it was like the one hand clapping, like a, a Zen prophecy. I thought it was almost like this. So this is the beginning of the snakehead soup story. A monk was a Tenzo for a small monastery somewhere, probably in many different countries, as the story began a long, long time ago. The Tenzo was cutting greens in the garden for the monastery meal, and in the course of doing that, noticing sliced the head off a snake. Without noticing it, cleaned along with the greens and went into the soup pot. Service time came, and the Tenzo who was serving, as it was a small monastery, ladled the soup into the abbot's bowl. The abbot looked at it, lifted the bowl to his mouth, took his hashi, and lifted out the snake's head and held it up. And you can imagine the thoughts at that moment if it had been you. So I thought it was a prophecy, a metaphor, but no. Snake soup, known in Cantonese as segang, is a Chinese delicacy that contains as many as five different types of snake meat. Boiled with ingredients such as pork bones, chicken and spices, it's a thick, flavorful soup especially popular in Hong Kong during the winter months. Made from snake meat and bones and simmered for several hours, the broth is infused with other ingredients like chicken mushrooms, chopped ginger, chrysanthemum leaves, um, uh, lemongrass and other herbs and spices for a flavorful broth that is both sweet and somewhat spicy. The snake meat is shredded into thin slivers when cooked and looks and tastes similar to chicken. Doesn't everything taste like chicken? You know, everything tastes like kangaroo tastes like chicken, shark tastes like chicken. Snake soup originated in southern China, including the area known to present day as the Gongdong province. The dish has been known around since the 3rd century BCE, 
Known in the olden days as a luxury dish enjoyed by the wealthy, it became widespread across China in the 1700s. The soup is known to be a hearty, warming meal that is ideal for the winter months and is both a delicacy and a medicinal supplement. In Chinese medicine, snake meat is known as yang food or food that brings heat to the body. Thus, snake soup is often consumed in the colder months to counteract the yin of winter. It is known to cure ailments of arthritis and is said to be good for circulation in the skin, excellent for after surgery. Snake restaurants in Hong Kong are typically Sewong, uh, literally the snake king. Many restaurants handle their own snakes in order to make sure the snake meat is fresh. In addition to snake soup, other dishes made from snakes include snake skin casserole, fried snake meat and gallbladder snake soup. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be having that. I mean, if it, I wonder if it's like fugu, like the puffer fish. If you have to be a, a, a you know a seasoned chef, a, you know a, a certified sashimi chef, to take out the poison glands, or, or maybe they don't use poisonous snakes; they just use a huge, big old long python. Okay, I don't want to scare anybody, um, but. It's pumpkin spice latte time of year. It's a very scary time. It's the creepiest, crawliest time of year, but also it's pumpkin spice latte time. <laughs> Everything's pumpkin spice. These are the 10 fall items that Trader Joe's ranked worst to best. There are certain aspects that people look forward to all year long. Maybe it's the start of the football season. That's a no. Well, the soccer season, yes, but not the football, American football season. Or the first warm day of spring. For some, that time of early fall when delectable autumnal treats start hitting the shelves. And there's no store that does it better than Trader Joe's. It's the first day Trader Joe's starts carrying cinnamon brooms in the flower section. Now, I don't mind a cinnamon broom. I'm not going to sweep that away. Um, but also, in the flower section, you're beginning to roll out the old fall favourites. Uh, Trader Joe's often does a great job of spreading the fall fanfare around from drinks to treats to bath and body products. But here we have the top 10 worst, uh, from worst to best, or best to worst, pumpkin spice creamy cashew cultured yogurt alternative. Maybe diehard pumpkin spice enthusiasts will also enjoy cashew-like products. There'll be people who think it's weird and kind of gross, but most non-dairy yogurts have a questionable texture and flavor, which are sort of gloopy and slippery without that satisfying creamy mouthfeel of a regular yogurt. Add that to the cloying pumpkin spice flavor, and the non-dairy yogurt for sure is going to be a mess. And how about the pumpkin non-fat Greek yogurt? Only die-hard pumpkin and pumpkin spice fans will like this yogurt. Amply flavoured with both. The taste of pumpkin puree comes through very strongly, which tastes like a, doesn't taste like a slice of pumpkin pie. It tastes like non-fat baby yoghurt. Oh, pumpkin instant oatmeal. This instant oatmeal is mediocre at best for both being a pecan pumpkin oatmeal. There's not nearly enough pieces of pecan for our taste. And the pumpkin puree is littered throughout pumpkin cereal bars these cereal bars can be hit or miss no matter what flavor they are the doughy exterior always skews and it's a bit dry pumpkin spice cheese cream cheese spread in the world of bagels there's two camps of people those who like sweet bagels and spreads and those who don't those that do will enjoy a lightly sweetened pumpkin cream cheese spread on cinnamon, raisin, cranberry, chocolate chip, or pumpkin bagels. The taste of pumpkin 
does come through as a pleasant amount of warm pie spice. But if you're not a fan of sweet bagels, this spread could be used in baking applications. Use it in place of plain cream cheese, in a brownie recipe or a carrot cake, all the like. Pumpkin spice granola bark. While this treat is called bark, you could think of it like little unwrapped granola bars. Each rectangular chunk is a quarter inch slab of oat granola that's topped with dark chocolate and pepitas. The pumpkin spice isn't particularly overpowering, but it's present. I might try the pumpkin bark. If it's not overpowering, how about this? Honeycrisp apple cinnamon Greek yogurt. I like the Honeycrisp, one of my favorite apples. It's a pleasant sweetness and spices are perfectly balanced but without being over the top. Greek yogurt is a way of providing a satisfying rich mouthfeel, not unlike ricotta or goat's cheese. Well, it's Honeycrisp apple cinnamon. There's no pumpkin spice in it. That's why it's so good. Cinnamon roll blondie bar. The only reason these insanely delicious cinnamon roll blondies aren't higher in the list you have to do a little bit of work before consuming them. Oh dear, a little bit of work. Not that these are particularly hard to make. They'll enjoy a little cozy baking in a full day. The mix has just the right amount of steps to feel that you're actually creating something special. But not so many as to be too difficult. When it's done and baked, the package yields 9 squares. Depends how you cut them. The nutritional value suggests the packet yields 20 squares. However you slice it, its bite is tender, chewy, and ribbons of cinnamon sugar and covered in a gooey glaze. Let's have more pumpkin spice nightmares tomorrow, shall we? Prices hit German toilet paper maker turns to coffee grounds choked by soaring energy and wood pulp costs. German toilet paper maker Huckel is turning its waste from coffee production to stay afloat. Well, you don't want a floater necessarily. This is where the coffee can help and it can also help the environment. Just two years ago at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, the firm profited from a stampede of consumers rushing to stock up on essentials. With the health crisis abating, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sparked skyrocketing energy costs, forcing Harkel to file for insolvency recently. Innovation could be the key to survival. Huge coffees of coffee grounds are produced every year by the European food industry, and Harkel has found a way to transform the waste into material in making loo roll. The first rolls using the new process were produced at the Dusseldorf-based factory last week. Harkel's chief marketing officer, Karen Jung, told AFP, the goal is between 20 to 25% of coffee grounds constituting the material for making the paper, replacing the wood pulp, said Jung, adding the company's work in towards reaching those levels. This does not sound like a lot, but it means that a quarter fewer trees are being used. Huckel sees a strong economic case. The price of wood pulp, which is in high demand in China, is the world's biggest consumer. It's not the first time the firm has taken an unusual approach to producing loo paper. Two years ago, it used grass grown in the Rhineland to make toilet paper. The trouble with grass, though, I don't know if you've ever done that, done it before, but if you ever get caught short by a river and sort of squat down, the grass sometimes irritates the bottom cheeks, doesn't it? Much like that block of green chili, I suppose. But also, I'm wondering that if you've got ground coffee made into toilet paper, do you need your morning coffee in the morning? Are you getting your caffeine up the jacksy? You know, you're wiping it. Are you getting like a hit of, hit of coffee 
up the bottom hole. Uh, and you, you probably won't need your cup of tea or coffee in the morning if you're doing that. Or can you get a caffeine high? I mean, if you're using a lot of to- if you're somebody who uses a lot of toilet paper, c- could you start getting caffeinated headaches from wiping your bottom? There is a scientific reason behind why you like the smell of your own farts. I think this is absolutely disgusting, this story. And I don't like the smell of my own farts. I don't like the smell of anybody's farts. But anyway, have you ever let one rip and carried on with your daily life or instead smelted and enjoyed it? Believe it or not, there's actually scientific reason behind why you like the smell of your own farts. So don't worry, you're not on your own. However, other people's flatulence is a completely different matter, except if it's your own particular niche fetish. Not for one moment are we suggesting that you should sit there constantly wafting your own, of course, but instead we're saying there's more appeal because science. New scientists took to Twitter to see if people agreed, whether they thought that one's own farts smell more tolerable than others. I, I guess... I guess if you're on Twitter, it's better than abusing and trolling each other. You can, you know, discussing farting and the fragrance behind your own farts. Users of Twitter came back in good spirits, providing personal stories and reasons why they either dislike the smells they create or like. One even recommended finding a furry companion in the shape of a Labrador to live with, with reference to the dog's gases just being unbearable. Well, they're eating canned meat, aren't they? I wonder if our forefathers, when we used to eat canned meat, if they smelt worse than, than, than these days. Now we eat fresh meat, I suppose. The evidence has been confirmed in a blind smell test. And as also, if you're blind and then suddenly hit by a wafty fart, I mean, that's... I guess being blind is one thing, but if you can't hear, now that would be if you're deaf and then suddenly hit by the fart, that, that's, that could be absolutely awful for our deaf friends out there awful that's why silent but violent is <laughs> okay the evidence has been confirmed in a blind smell test by scientists that even the bacteria that creates a pungent smell is unique to each person and they're for become bearable to the individual over time I always think my, my father used to you know, smelling meat all the time, and he smelt of meat all the time. Doesn't anymore. Smells like roses. If you can find yourself still turning your nose up and feeling like you're about to throw up when somebody lets rip, it's likely with the food to blame. It may be time to less beef, egg, baked beans, and other high, foods high in sulfur. A sense of familiarity is behind why we like our own farts more than others. On its own, that may sound weird, but there's more truth than one thought. This isn't the same when somebody else breaks wind and you happen to smell it, your brain will detect something trying to harm you and set up a defense mechanism as a way of protection. It blocks off the smell. It's like the breakers that should have been on the Titanic to stop the water coming in. Your nose puts up the breakers to stop the smell. When you think about it, whether it's milk past its sell-by date, rotting food or sewage, most bad smells are not good for you and less exposure to them the better. My mouse-laden, pea-laden boxes here. The main disease you're being protected from is streptococcus. That's probably what I've got. I've got a touch of streptococcus in the nasal passages. A disease that could be caused by one singular fart. It sounds like the atomic bomb of farts. In other words, farts can be very pow- powerful. Dispersed by poop particles, the disease can cause tonsillitis, flesh-eating disease, grim. 
what may seem like reliving some pressure, relieving some pressure, not reliving some pressure, may be fairly harmful to others around you. Well, I've always said this, you know, put a cork up it. Perhaps you think about the next time you let rip in the car and hotbox it in the mini. Very British problems official. How to get to sleep. Number one, worry all night about the next day task. Number two, get up and start work on a task at 7 a.m. Number three, 7.04 a.m., task complete. Very British problems official, breakfast in bed. Number one, asking yourself whether sitting and eating in the shape of a bookend is likely to be good for digestion. Number two, taking a bite of a croissant, whereupon your bed instantly starts to resemble an explosion in a bakery. Number three, the terror and vulnerability of a wasp entering the bedroom while you're trapped under a tray of messy things. Number four, being so distraught at having split a whole glass of freshly squeezed orange juice that you sit quietly soaking it in for some time. Uh, number five, wondering if you should request a sponge bath to get the full hospital stay experience. Number six, feeling confused as to why breakfast in bed is deemed to be the height of sophistication while midnight kebab in bed is apparently frowned upon. Number seven, wondering how you're going to explain the future guests that the indelible mark on the sheets is honestly marmite. Number eight, reaching the conclusion that any experience which you never undergo at your own free will will be safely classed as overrated. Uh, also realizing that if you take away the tray and just have a plate under your lap, all the glamour evaporates. And number 10, looking forward to a few days time when your bedroom no longer smells of eggs. Yes, sadly it is pumpkin spice uh, season. Uh, but the biggest mistake people make with pumpkin pie. When you think of Thanksgiving and its table groaning with delicious, savory and sweet foods, what's the first dish that comes to mind? While many may think of the burnished, whole roasted turkey, we're willing to bet that a lot of folks' minds go straight to one of the holiday's most iconic desserts, pumpkin pie, typically consisting of smooth, eggy filled baked into a single bottom crust. The type of pumpkin pie most Americans enjoy goes way back, already a popular choice by 1796 when early American cookbook author Amelia Simmons included a fairly modern sounding recipe for pumpkin pie in a pioneering tome American cookery featuring stewed and strained pumpkin mixed with eggs, sugar cream, molasses. Simmons' recipe also featured another common pumpkin pie ingredient, spices in the form of ginger, mace, nutmeg and all spices. Is that pumpkin spice? Spices are wonderfully fragrant, defining features of pumpkin pie, but don't want to go overboard with them. Spice your pumpkin with a light hand. Whatever you've got heavy, big um, hands like, you know, lump of mashed potato and five sausages. As it's hard to believe, there are people out there who don't like pumpkin pie. Yeah, I'm putting my hand up. I know it's audio, but I'm putting my hand up. And a common complaint amongst this rare subset is that the filling is too heavily spiced with a strong flavor of the cinnamon cloves and nutmeg. I like it at Christmas time. The Denver Post advocates for a slightly, lightly spiced filling that will bring enough of the warm fall flavors or autumn flavors with the pumpkin, but not so much as it tastes like liquid gingerbread. The, uh, that sounds actually quite good. The paper's recipe for the iconic pie calls for one full teaspoon of uh, ground cinnamon, but a conservative eighth of a teaspoon of remaining spices, allspice, ginger, nutmeg, and cloves. Bon Appetit also proposes a light hand with pumpkin pie spices, naming overspicing as one of the seven most common mistakes home bakers make when making this beloved pie. Beloved. All right, so the biggest mistake people make when making pumpkin pie 
is actually making pumpkin pie. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. It's been marvellous having you here. As I said uh, at the beginning of the show, we will have another edition of the podcast before the end of the weekend. A lovely sort of autumnal weekend ahead here in Colorado. A lot of people are going to be out walking. Some might be golfing. Sort of like 70 degrees. So like perfect, perfect weather for the autumn. Lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, If you like this podcast, some of you do because I get the listener figures. Some obviously don't. Uh, then like and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify as an audio. We also have uh, Slacker Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. In fact, when you're spicing your pumpkin pie, as you shake the pumpkin spice into the pie, you can, if you press the little shaker up to your ear, you can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower emanating from the pumpkin spice shaker. Ah! Coming up next, we have a poem. William Butler Yeats. When you're old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream the soft look your eyes once had of their shadows deep. How many love your moments glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim's soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Don't over pumpkin spice latte weekend. It could have an inadvertent poisonous effect on you. I will be back before the end of the weekend like the leaf blowing back into your garden after you've tidied it up. Till next time. Cheerio. You sexy beast. (laughs) Oh, come on.